The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Now, Exo-Ordinary Mind Facts. In 1997, 14-year-old Nathan Zona got 43 out of 59th graders to vote in favor of banning dihydrogen monoxide, also known as water. The hoax was a science fair project, which he titled, How Gullible Are We? He not only won the science fair, but also inspired the term, Zonerism. Defined as, the use of a fact, to lead to a scientifically ignorant public, to a false conclusion. And that was, Exo-Ordinary Mind Facts. Now, on to this week's Veritas interview. I'm Exo. Good night. Thomas Huxley once said, quote, The question of questions for mankind, the problem which underlies all others, and which is more deeply interesting than any other, is the ascertainment of the place which man occupies in nature, and of his relations to the universe of things." Quote. Einstein believed that matter must arise from a simple set of physical dynamics. So did many of the classic ancient creation traditions, such as the Buddhist and Hindu traditions in India, the Kabbalist tradition of Judaism, and the Dogon and Egyptian creation traditions of Africa priests of the modern-day Dogon tribe of Mali point to a set of primordial processes of matter that go well beyond what modern popularizers of physics typically discuss. Techniques of comparative cosmology help us to align those processes with likely scientific counterparts based on a consensus of ancient views, which revealed our new and compelling perspectives on how our universe is said to interact with a non-material twin universe. How the dimensions of time and space are understood to emerge from non-materiality, and how these seemingly scientific archaic concepts formed an enduring foundation for ancient and modern religion. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fambergas. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is Laird Scranton, the author of a series of books and other writings on ancient cosmology and language. These include articles published in several international publications. He has been featured in documentaries and is a frequent guest on the best radio programs around the world. And we have a more extensive bio listing his work right on our website. Tonight we'll be discussing his latest book titled Seeking the Primordial, Exploring Root Concepts of Cosmological Creation. Laird Granton joins us directly from Albany, New York. Hello, Laird, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hello, Mel. Thank you very much for, for inviting me on. Well, I was mentioning before, we met in 2011 at Walter Cruttenden's uh, event at CPAC, right, in, in Sedona, 2011. And I've been wanting to interview for quite a while. Every time I want to do it, Boom, a new book comes out. You are a researcher of researchers. First of all, how did you begin in all of this? Well, this happened sort of accidentally. Um, I was uh, 
given a book, recommended a book by my wife, Risa, who had, uh, it was called Unexplained by Jerome Clark. And every chapter in the book talked about some mystery of, of human interest that had not been solved. And one of the mysteries was about an, a modern African tribe, a prim, primitive tribe called the Dogen, who seemed to know some things about astronomy that they shouldn't know without access to telescopes and technological equipment. And so I just started pursuing that. I thought it was interesting, and I started researching it and keeping uh, notes and uh and details for myself, just to try trying to keep them straight, keep them organized, and sort of ended up accidentally writing a book, <laughs> and uh, decided back. This is back in the mid 1990s. I um, it was possible to self-publish a book pretty inexpensively, so I decided to do, to do that. And then the book found John Anthony West, uh, the Egyptologist. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and from there, um, he sort of was my conduit into publishing and into conferences and so forth. He was a great man. We unfortunately lost him recently, but I'm glad that he, as you know, had cancer, but uh, he he fought that for some time. And I uh, was in touch with his daughter recently. And, you know, what a great man that was, wasn't he? Yes, absolutely. They broke, broke the mold uh, when they, um, when John was born, you know, he was one of a kind. Um, he's sort of the grand old man of the mysteries tradition. He was the renegade person. He uh, he did not want to follow academia to the point he did his own research. And those people who went to his tours in Egypt really, really had a, a time of a lifetime. Yes, it was a life-changing experience for so many people. Um, I, I meet people all the time who say, you know, going with John to Egypt was really changed my perspective on the world. Absolutely. So tonight we'll be discussing your latest book, Seeking the Primordial, Exploring Root Concepts of Cosmological Creation. So let me quote the following as a start for for our discussion, Laird. Quote, in accordance with the views of numerous ancient societies, if we allow a perspective that a designed system of scientific cosmology was instructed in ancient times, then we realize that it must have been carefully aimed at some future audience that would be equipped to recognize its scientific contours, unquote. Let's dissect this. Are you saying the ancient ones wanted to leave a legacy for us to comprehend? Uh, to understand the perspective, we can't really rely on any one culture, and so I do comparative studies. Um, the The outlook in several of the, the traditions is that this uh, – Ancient symbolic system was an instructed tradition and with two purposes. It had, had two facets to it. On one hand, it was a, an instructed civilizing plan whose main purpose was to raise us up for humanity up from hunter gatherers to farmers. And that civilizing plan was tagged to a symbolic cosmology that talks about how processes of creation happen. And when we say processes of creation, um, in the mindset of the ancient tradition, they're talking about three things at the same time. They're talking about um, how the universe forms, how matter forms, and how the processes of biological reproduction happen. Those processes are parallel for the Dogen. Uh, they're, they're so similar to one another that they simultaneously describe all three processes using a single progression of symbols. And so every symbol has meaning for each of those three themes, which is part of why the symbolism is so complicated. And I'm glad you're comparing 
different civilizations because that that gives you a better perspective and you can find some common ground that you've well, obviously you have found some commonalities between you know the buddhists the egyptians the uh and the dogon have you found a lot of similarities between their cosmology uh the dogon are actually an excellent place to start because um first of all they're a living cr culture which means that an anthropologist can talk to a living Dogon priest and get modern perspectives on, on certain questions. Um, but their culture preserves elements of, of three ancient traditions. They have um, rituals like Judea, ancient Judaism. They have civic traditions like ancient Egypt. And they have a symbolic cosmology a, a lot like ancient Buddhism. And so under one umbrella, you have elements of all three of those traditions, which suggested to me that, you know, all three came from a single place. And part of my work has been – my field of study is called comparative cosmology. And what that means is that I try to understand uh, more about symbols and myths and rituals by comparing how different cultures understood the same elements. So – um, the Dogen will tell me that a particular symbol represents a certain thing. My job is to go to other ancient cultures who have that same element, the same symbol, and validate that they, those cultures understood the symbol in the same way. And I sort of then triangulate in on what an original meaning was for each aspect. I think when I first met you, you were discussing the Dogon, and it really fascinated me. I interviewed some members of the, or initiates rather, of the Dogon tribe, and I remember they used to get, uh, they get upset, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when people say the pyramids must have been built by extraterrestrials, and they get really <laughs> upset saying, why couldn't human beings do that? Is that still the standing? Um, yes, the Dogon really, really don't um, uh, have a, a connection to the building of the pyramids, although they do have a similar tradition. They do place large stones on a plateau to represent stars, including uh, the belt stars of Orion, which is what my friend Robert Boval says the three pyramids of Giza represent. Right. Uh, the Dogans say that the reason why they do that, uh, especially as regards the belt stars, is to point us to a structure they call the chariot of Orion. Now, uh, the French anthropologist who studied the Dogon imagined that the concept of the chariot of Orion applies to the whole constellation as a reference to the Orion the hunter. But um, when you trace Dogen references, um, you discover that there is a, an invisible, uh, a faintly visible structure uh, that surrounds the belt stars. It's so faint that you can't see it with the, the naked eye. Um, it's a spiraling birthplace of stars called Barnard's Loop. And it can be imaged with time-lapse photography. And when it's imaged, um, it gives the appearance of the wheel of a chariot in which Orion the Hunter is standing. Now, the interesting thing is that the dimensions of Barnard's Loop in light years are a match for the dimensions of the Great Pyramid in cubits. They, uh, the, the Great Pyramid measures 440 royal cubits per side of its base, and it measures 280 cubits high. Those are the same dimensions in light years for Barnard's Loop. Um, there are, are other uh, Dogen and Egyptian connections that point us to it. The Dogen say that why that structure is so important is because 
it's a macrocosmic counterpart to a tiny spiral of matter that is the structure that all of material creation is based on. So they, the Dogen provide very detailed descriptions of their tiny spiral. And if you go to a scientific description of Barnard's loop, Barnard's loop is classified as a stellar bubble. And the way it forms and the way it behaves, the things it's expected to do, line right up with what the Dogen say their tiny spiral of matter does. And so it's a way of demonstrating that what happens above is the same as what happens below. I think it was my conversation with Graham Hancock. I'm not sure exactly, but I believe he mentioned that the the Dogon priests, they maintain a mode of, of dress similar to that of the ancient Egyptian priests, and they still make use of many of the same agricultural methods that were practiced in, in ancient Egypt. Could they have been attached to to Egypt during the time of the pyramids and perhaps I don't know if it was after the cataclysm or what happened there, but they actually emigrated to what's now Mali? Yes, my my outlook on it is a little more complicated than that, but essentially the Dogen, I see that the Dogen were, Dogen and Egyptians were the same people at 3000 BC, Mm -hmm. at about the boundary between pre-dynastic and dynastic times. Um, The uh, Dogen as a society prioritize preserving original forms. They're trying not, they're trying to be sort of a controlled um, uh, environment uh, for civic traditions and for language and for symbols and for just all aspects of their society, including agriculture and other things. Their mission as a culture is to try to preserve the things in the original form they were in. Um, Now, the the path of transmission for the tradition is, is fairly complicated. It, uh, from my point of view, it begins um, in Turkey at around 10,000 BC. We see it first at Gobekli Tepe in southeast Turkey. And we can imagine that there must have been direct influences on Egypt at around 10,000 BC. If we, if we entertain Robert Boval's idea that the, belts, the pyramids point to the belt stars of Orion at 10,000 BC – and that the Sphinx points to the constellation of Leo at 10,000 BC, then we're left with two choices. We can either conclude that at least those alignments were made in the era of 10,000 BC. If we don't accept that, then we have to presume that somebody in some later era had the capability of retroactively, retrospectively calculating what the alignment should have been. And that's... uh, we don't really have evidence that anybody had that much technology to be able to do that. So it looks to me as if at least those alignments were made in 10,000 BC, which implies contact between Gobekli Tepe and Egypt at 10,000 BC. Then we have a path of transmission for the the creation tradition that I'm pursuing that, that seems to pass down um, from the Fertile Crescent region um, into India – and then down into Elephantine and Egypt, or re-enters e- Egypt at Elephantine around 4000 BC. And there's another path of transmission that seems to pass down from the Fertile Crescent into, into Palestine, and then moves by sea to the tip of North Africa and then on to northern Scotland, to an island called Orkney Island, uh, where it looks as if there was an instructional site uh, of the kind the Dogen described at around 
3200 BC, just before dynastic Egypt appeared. So it looks like we have these three different paths of transmission that influence Egypt, which is another reason why it's so hard to sort out the details of symbolism in Egypt. But as you said, the Dogon still an active tribe. Let me just read this too, because I think it's in, it's important. And it says, so the Dogon are remotely located, effectively distanced from corrupting outside influences. Their tribal ethic emphasizes purity of language and preservation of original traditions and themes. So why is their cosmology so relevant today? The Dogon priests say that their symbolic system describes how matter forms. This isn't a situation where I or some other researcher has come along and noticed resemblances between their drawings and certain diagrams and said, oh, look, they're talking about matter. This is a case where the Dogon priests are flatly saying, we're describing how matter forms. This is what our system does. So when I was starting my research, I didn't know very much about how matter forms. I knew about atoms, and I knew about protons and electrons and neutrons. And I could see that not only did the Dogon have the descriptions of those things correct, they also had a correct drawing to go with their concept of protons, electrons, and neutrons that looks just like a typical electron orbital shape. So I asked myself, if they have these two topmost structures right, what are the chances that the descending structure that they're describing for matter could also be right? And so I started educating myself about how matter forms. I was reading Stephen Hawking and Brian Greene, you know, popularizers of science, who talk about um, how matter forms. And I started comparing um, descriptions and drawings to, uh, of the Dogon to descriptions and diagrams from Hawking and Greene and other uh, physicists and discovered that you could set these things side by side. As a matter of fact, that's what my first book does. It sets Dogen descriptions and drawings side by side with scientific descriptions and diagrams. And you can see that you could almost substitute the Dogen description for the scientific description and not change the meaning of what Hawking or Brian Green had written. I'm looking here at uh, Carmen Bolter's, Dr. Cameron Bolter's, I know you know her, her work. Sure. And I remember... I think it was Abdel Hakim I went, uh, one that the uh, he was part of the documentary. He's a, a researcher from Egypt who passed away not too long ago. Was that am I saying his name right, Hakim? Uh, yes, Hakim. Right, and I'm looking at the Dogon and I'm thinking right now you and I could fly to Mali, organize perhaps a meeting with a Dogon tribe member, and we could actually look into their past, and they, as, as I said in my quote, they're very peculiar, and they emphasize purity of language and preservation of the original traditions. But if you do the same thing in Egypt, we would need somebody like Hakim to discuss this. However, the Dogon, how is it that they keep their traditions almost intact? Could it be by initiation? We don't see the same thing with Egyptians. In fact, some people speculate that the Egyptians of today are not the ones behind the creation or the building of the pyramids. Your take on this? Um, there are a lot of mysteries about the, the building of the pyramids and about the, the ultimate purposes of the pyramid. The Dogen um, symbolic system 
uh, the grand symbol of the Dogen symbolic system is a shrine. It's a ritual shrine that is aligned. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.